1: Bonus COVID nine,
0: bonus COVID nine.
1: There you go. So this is the literature stuff from the last week.
0: Some, of, we it. some, some of, of it, some of it, we think is either boring or it's du- not useful,
1: duplicative. Is that a word?
0: Yeah, it's tough stuff we've gone over before that's just probably not useful. You know, same old stuff that somebody else rediscovered. So, so, so I- these are the ones we kind of thought would be okay.
1: All right, so we're gonna first start in Taiwan in the Annals of Internal Medicine. They looked at uh, the measures used in Taiwan to successfully control the spread of COVID in colleges and universities, kind of helping to reinform reopenings elsewhere. And so the Ministry of Education in Taiwan actually came up with some guidelines for college campuses. Which were, I mean, these are pretty significant lists that they needed to do, including a task force at each university, school-based risk screening based on travel history, occupation, context, cluster, self-management of health and quarantine, general hygiene man- measures. At first, I thought, hmm, are they going to count how often they shower? But really, it focuses on wearing masks indoors, but it doesn't say exclusive. It says including mask wearing, so... Uh, and then principles on ventilation and sanitation, they need to have regulations on school assemblies, processes for reporting suspe- suspected cases, and policies on school closing and makeup classes. So quite the...
0: Sounds like way too much.
1: It sounds like a lot. But again, you're getting to the young adults, as we've seen in lots of areas. The I think it was just an NPR today, actually. The cases in Minnesota... And the twenty-year-old age group is like skyrocketing. Yeah. And so this actually is
0: actually you could see that today on the on the graphs.
1: Yeah. So it's 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 just a thing to to really look at it or the colleges and universities because that's the definition of congregate living.
0: Yes. Which is why we all like college. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> transmission.
1: Again, college.
0: Yes, emerging <laughs> infectious diseases by Hogan et al. And this was actually July third. Came out. And uh, they actually looked at 1,700 previously collected nasopharyngeal swabs. They probably got a big room where they just keep these in. Um, And basically. You can
1: hardly keep a urine in our lab for three (laughs) days. These they've kept from
0: from last October. October (laughs) October 31st, 2019 to December 31st. And they just basically screened them for SARS just to see if there's SARS CoV 2 was around. And everyone was negative. So, no. There wasn't any around.
1: No. I wonder if they go back and test all 17 of 100 of them for the antibody, just yeah. curiously. I'm going
0: to check with our lab, see if we've saved them, because I'd like to check ours, too.
1: There you go. Uh, so now we're going to the Journal of Global Health. Lee et al., this is kind of looking at kiddos, and this is this is going to leave you with a little gray zone at the end of it. They looked at 16 studies looking at the role of children in the transmission of covid Two studies reported transmission from infected children, and basically one was a baby, one was, you know, mom caring for that baby, two kids may have contacted it, excuse me, contracted it from initial cases at school in New New South Wales. Six studies presented indirect evidence of a potential for COVID transmission by children, so... Indirect evidence, three of which found prolonged virus shedding in the stool.
0: Yeah, we still don't know what that means.
1: Right. We'll get more to that in a minute. Two studies reported outbreaks of COVID in school settings. One study was a case report of a child attending classes that did not result in infecting any other pupils or staff. So the bottom line is, is there's still limited evidence. They don't really know yet about whether children are less frequently infected or less infectious than adults.
0: Flip a coin.
1: So everything I just said, ignore and just know it's gray zone. Yeah,
0: meant nothing, all of the things you said. Uh, testing and treatment. So uh, this was by Flacco, Flacco at al. This was actually in uh, heart uh, medicine, a uh, meta-analysis uh, treatment of ACE inhibitors or ARBs. And it's kind of interesting what they did is they just basically, is, I'm going to make this simple. They showed that if you're on ARBs or ACEs, that you didn't have a higher risk of severe disease. So it didn't make you worse. It it doesn't say that it made you less likely to have other troubles, but it says you didn't get sicker than anybody else.
1: Yeah, their study topic was on, did these people get worse?
0: Yeah, so it didn't say they benefited you, but at least you didn't get worse.
1: There you go. Because I think very early on that was a thing, that aces and arbs could be bad. It was a thing. So, All right, moving on. Feaster and Go. I like that. And go. Feaster and go. (laughs) Eat and go. Um, Emerging infectious diseases, high prevalence of COVID was identified in long-term care facilities in Pasadena, California. Now, this is very interesting. There were 938 people that they checked. 356 were staff. 582 were residents that were tested in nine different facilities. Of all of those tested, 631 were positive. So that was 67% of staff. Oops, excuse me, sorry. 67% overall were positive. Of staff, it was 63% residents, 70%. Staff involved with direct patient care had higher rate of infection. Surprise. Which which you'd expect. Among the 631 overall who tested positive, 257 were asymptomatic. So of all the positives, 41% were asymptomatic. And if you look at the breakdown of that... 25% 25% of staff were asymptomatic, but the long-term care residents, 50% of them were asymptomatic. So not every old person's going to crump, but if they do, it's bad. Yeah. But, but finally, really, of course, take home. Female residents had a higher rate of asymptomatic infection than male residents because once again, we are the superior sex.
0: Yeah, just barely. But you know, one of the things is...
1: 121 versus 81.
0: You going to listen to me? No. One of the things that uh, I get out of this is that if... If you had forty-one percent of the elderly that were asymptomatic, but only twenty-five percent of the workers, the workers obviously younger. So, are the younger people less asymptomatic? I don't uh, think so. But anyway, you know, anyway. The CDC just came out with that too. It said that forty percent asymptomatic rate, which fits this. This was forty-one percent. So, so then we went to a preprint, and this was by Tomish at Al. And uh Tom, Yeah. Tom. The only thing that really we're going to pull out of this one is they looked at firearm sales and whether they were higher than usual this time of year. And, in fact, they estimated about 2.1 million excess firearm purchases between March and May 2020. And that's actually a 64% increase. I, You know, I think, you know, the, the thing that they're really looking at, the relative rate of death and injury from firearm violence was only up slightly, uh, but still... Uh, lots more guns sold, sold during that
1: time. I wonder if they compared that to toilet paper.
0: Yeah, I don't think so.
1: But, I mean, that would kind of be interesting. Where did people value their their need for lockdown? Yeah. Just just saying. Okay, now, oh, I like this one. This comes from the journal The Physics of Fluids. Hmm. Mm. Verma kind of sounds like a physics of fluids name. But anyway, Verma did this study... Um, called the Visualizing the Effectiveness of Face Masks in Obstructing Respiratory Jets. Mm. So basically, they looked at the different type of masks. So they did a bunch of qualitative visualizations of emulating coughs and sneezes. And that uh, basically the conclusion is loosely folded face masks and bandana style coverings provide minimal stopping capability for the smallest aerosolized respiratory droplets. Mm. Whereas the well-fitted homemade masks with multiple layers of quilting fabric and off-the-shelf cone-style masks proved to be the most effective in reducing droplet dispersal. However, this is also really cool because all the little polka dots, stickers on the floor everywhere you go now, they found that uncovered, emulated coughs were able to travel up to 12 feet rather than the 6 feet social distancing guidelines. So if you're at the gas station in rural Minnesota where nobody's wearing a mask— Stand two dots behind the person in front of you.
0: Did you say twelve feet? I did. Wow, that's a feet. long way.
1: Like I said, two dots,
0: a couple of dots. <laughs> so then, uh, a little article about geographic spread. This is also a preprint by Khan et al., and this is actually um, kind of interesting because they they looked at these county level so- socio demographic health and environmental metrics. Right. So they uh, talked about deaths per capita. In rural versus urban, and uh, sadly, us rural people, uh, the vulnerable counties in the rural areas had a death rate that was almost twice what the urban was, 55.8 deaths per 100,000 versus 32.2 for the urban. Um, So really, it it just again shows you we continue to kind of pretend like it's not going to get here. Uh, It's clearly here now, but... Uh, how bad is it, how bad will it get? And it make it worse. And because they don't, you know, older group.
1: Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say they don't really go into why. Why mm-hmm. is it the older group the more you know complicated a lot more health comorbid- problems? Yep,
0: comorbidities. But
1: again, I was in Minneapolis today, and every single person I saw, even outside on the streets, was either wearing their mask or holding it. And everyone was wearing a mask everywhere. Versus
0: Northern Minnesota, where I was uh, this nobody. last weekend, nobody was wearing them. So, so
1: that could be some of it. As long as they're wearing the correct fitted and. You know, all of that we just talked about. All right. Ooh, Kataregly. That's Mm. a cool name at all. Annals of Internal Medicine. Evaluate the test characteristics of serum antibody testing in a case control study among hospitalized patients with confirmed COVID. So there were 60 people in that. And controls from healthy lab employees and patients hospitalized for reasons other than COVID. So that was 513 patients. The sensitivity for detecting the SARS-CoV-2 IgG was 97.6% and the specificity 98.8% when performed at least 14 days after symptom onset. So antibody testing, pretty pretty good good. test. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's not bad. Um, And next under the testing and treatment, uh, I believe it's probably Nor et al. And this is actually in the Journal of Medical Virology. And uh, they did a little thing looking at uh, the kind of limited clinical improvement in sixty-six patients who received tosadilizumab. You did it. That's you know, kind of a hard one. Uh, and within fourteen days of treatment, twenty-nine percent had clinical improvement. Twenty percent had minimal or no improvement. Seventeen percent just got bad. Twenty-seven percent died, and seven were transferred. So ultimately, forty-two percent of the patients who received it uh, actually actually died. And forty nine percent were discharged. So, you know, typically this is a drug that you are giving later in the in the disease. So, um, you know, again, there has been a lot of thought that this would help with this with that storm, uh, but uh, at least in this one, not so great.
1: They do not in this one, though. However, state exactly what when, day of symptom yeah. these patients got there.
0: Yeah, tocilizumab. So, but yeah, so kind of that. Uh, Wait for more information.
1: Letting air out of the mad balloon a little yeah. bit. All right, moving on. Steuben filed, Steuben filled, like a Steuben filed at all. Yeah. Clinical infectious diseases. Cross sectional seroprevalence studies for SARS CoV 2 antibodies among healthcare workers in Nashville, Tennessee, four weeks after the first identified case. Among the 249 healthcare personnel who worked in COVID 19 units, 19, so 8% tested positive for the antibodies. Only 11, so half of those 19, excuse me, 58% of the 19 personnel with positive antibodies ever had symptoms of prior illness. Again, asymptomatic healthcare personnel could be an important source of COVID transmission.
0: Say it's not true. Say it's not true.
1: So yeah, like 42% of those healthcare workers didn't have symptoms.
0: Now for the study with the best researcher name, Agaropolis.
1: Ooh, you might have actually said that correctly. I'm
0: not sure, but it was in the, the American Journal of Pathology. And basically what he did, uh, I think just the bottom line on How his, do you know it's a he? Oh, God, I did it again. Yeah. Whoever this person is, what they, <laughs> really the bottom line is the authors suggested that higher viral loads are seen in mild rather than severe disease states- because viral load reflects the time since onset of infection. That's the bottom line.
1: It's one of those hard things to think about, kind of like high TSH means low thyroid. It's just one of those things.
0: It throws you off. All
1: right, so from the journal, the Rhinology Journal. I bet (laughs) I have a couple classmates who get this, I should ask them.
0: They know about rhinoceroses.
1: (laughs) Borsetto Systematic review and meta-analysis. So this was 18 studies they looked at with over 3,500 patients to talk about the self-reported altered sense of smell or taste in patients with confirmed COVID-19 cases. So they found the alterations in smell or taste was in about 31% of patients with severe COVID and 67% of participants with mild to moderate COVID. So an overall prevalence of 47%, which is about what we're seeing lately, I think. Yeah? Roughly. Um, In 20% of the patients that they looked, and again, this was a lot of patients, more than 3,500, the alteration preceded the other symptoms. So that's the first question I hear you ask patients all the time.
0: Yeah. And you know, I've had a lot of people thought they had trouble and they've had negative tests. So don't know what to think about that either. Well, they might
1: just be nervous because they know it's a thing or the swabs are bad. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that could be true. Um, Are we going to July
1: 8th? We are going to July
0: 8th. And we're... Going to move to Sun et al. And this was actually a little meta analysis done, uh, kind of a systematic review and meta analysis of the severe infectious disease with convalescent plasma therapy. And this was actually in the International Journal of Infectious Diseases. And basically, what they showed is that they looked at these studies across 40 studies of patients who had SARS, influenza, Ebola. And then they got convalescent plasma, and well, what happened? And what they found was overall there's a reduction in mortality, low incidence of adverse events, which we've heard many times with convalescent plasma. And, of course, production of antibodies uh, were promoted, reduced viral loads, and shortened disease course. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, it looks like the convalescent plasma has a a place. Uh, We haven't seen a lot of great data yet.
1: All right, so this next study is probably my favorite one, not for, you know, good outcomes, but just in general, uh, International Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, although they don't write gynecology in. Anyway, so this was all pregnant patients who are admitted to for delivery at three different New York City hospitals. They were all screened for COVID um, using nasal pharyngeal specimens. So this was right at the beginning of the whole universal screening that they started in New York City all the way back on March 22nd. They swabbed 675 people who were admitted for, you know, in labor. 10% were positive for COVID. So, I mean, 10%, you know, asymptomatic because it doesn't say these people were. Oh, there we go. 79% of them were asymptomatic. So the 10% of the 68-ish people, most of them were asymptomatic, now, what they found was that C-section delivery and postpartum complications were more common among the COVID-positive patients. I'm not going to go through all the percentages. This was the kind of very interesting thing. Placental pathology re- revealed a higher frequency of fetal vascular malperfusion in patients with COVID versus without. And this is a huge percent: forty-eight percent versus eleven percent. And this just goes back down to that whole hypercoagulable state um, and the, you know, the clotting issues with COVID. And uh, the good news is is none of these infants were positive for COVID that they tested.
0: Not yet. No vertical transmission.
1: Thank goodness. I mean, there's enough complications. I mean, we've now heard that C-section rates are higher just because of poor perfusion, you know, just all these outcomes.
0: And next up is this, well, investigating SARS, you know, the surface and air contamination in an acute healthcare setting during the peak of COVID-19. This is in London. This was actually in the Clinical Infectious Diseases, and Zhao. We've seen this name a million times. I, I don't know if it's the same guy. z h o u No, this al. is the girl, or same girl or guy. <laughs> God darn it! And uh, but basically, they went around and collected air, air, and surface samples from seven clinical areas where COVID nineteen people were hanging out. You know, in these different units, and uh, and actually in one public area of a London hospital. And overall, I think this is amazing, viral RNA was detected in half of these surfaces and 39% of the air samples, but they were unable to culture the virus. So what does that mean? Um, So basically what it means, their conclusion is these findings suggest that there's really a high risk of environmental contamination with the viral RNA within these healthcare settings, (laughs) but what does it mean?
1: We still don't know. Yeah,
0: so the implication's less clear.
1: So a preprint, ooh, Nongala. I don't know. I don't know. Basically talked about the face masks. And basically, this is a preprint. So basically they said that if you're doing the post lockdown resurgence of COVID cases, you know, they're worried about this next surge. And so they looked at Arizona, Florida, and New York specifically. And they said assuming face masks reduce the probability of transmission by 50%, basically, as long as 75% of people were compliant. With universal masking laws, it would then prevent a second wave of infections. I think New, York, or excuse me, Florida and possibly Arizona didn't get the universal lockdown memo in time.
0: Yeah, it's ten thousand cases a day. So yeah, it's uh, anyway. It can work. And it I can.
1: Think- now we're jumping all the way to July 9th. Yeah, jeez, we're, next we're, page.
0: We're short time, and it's here. So the the next one was actually a study that was done and. And it was actually in JAMA.
1: Yay, you said yeah, it correctly. Like pajama,
0: except just JAMA. Uh, and this was actually by Carfiat et al. He or she uh, did this on July 9th. So anyway, a study of... You uh, can t- teach an old dog new tricks. I wish they'd tell the name. Uh, a <laughs> study of 147 patients in Italy who had actually recovered from COVID-19 found that 87% said they still were sick, had one symptom, you know, Way beyond when they were out and at a mean of 60 days after their onset of their symptoms. So you're talking 60 days later, they had one symptom left.
1: Well, and even if you look at the standard deviation, it's still like 13 and a half. So you're still like 45 to 75 days.
0: Yeah. The most common ones were actually fatigue and dyspnea, which I have those now. So maybe it's just... <laughs> I, don't know. I don't
1: know, but remember when we had that ER doctor on our COVID yeah, echo? He was, really he was short short like, of "This yeah. is this is a deal. This is a thing." All right, moving on. Called et at all? Elementary pharmacology and therapeutics. So they did a review and meta-analysis. So this is looking at over hundred studies, almost twenty-one thousand patients, looking at the elevated liver enzymes. And so we know that the more elevated your liver enzymes are, the more increased risk of mortality. That's been proven more increased risk of severe di- disease than people who do not have the elevated liver enzymes. However, what they showed is that people who have chronic liver disease were not at increased risk. So, and they were not at increased risk of developing the severe disease. So that's good news.
0: Good news. Good news. And next, also in JAMA, pajama.
1: JAMA Network Open.
0: Yes. There was a little study done by Yang et al. He- he or she did this and put this out there in July 8th, 2020. And it was all about the clinical characteristics of patients with coronavirus disease uh, receiving EMS services in King County, Washington. This is actually kind of interesting because when they looked at who called in, tried to get an ambulance to come, and then how did they do uh, down the road? And it's interesting. And I, the funny thing is they didn't compare it against people who just walked into the ER uh, but basically, they were they were getting these calls from nine one one. Twenty nine percent of these people had no symptoms of fever, cough, or shortness of breath.
1: Is what the patients
0: said. It's what they said. But f- half of them had a fever, uh, or tachypnea. Thirty two percent had tachypnea and hypoxia on arrival was half. Um, so. Really, these patients uh, received care associated with kind of this aerosol-generating procedures in 16% of encounters. So
1: they got bagged they or ventilated bagged or tubed, yeah. before they got to the ER.
0: Yeah, and as of June 1, this is the amazing part. The mortality among this group was half. So if you get to the point where you're calling an ER ambulance to come pick you up, uh, you should have gone in much earlier. So well, it's
1: scary. It just shows that people have kind of resisted. Going in Going in to not get sick So anyway On that note So we're going also to JAMA again Soloner et al Looking at the substantially higher And escalating um, prison cases So basically we're just looking at How many more prisoners are more likely to have Basically if you're in jail In prison Five and a half times higher than the US population Chances of getting COVID I mean Yep Higher death rates, more chances of getting it. It's just
0: bad. Yeah, five times higher is amazing. Five times higher rate. That's just crazy. And even
1: though, you know, the, the prison population isn't as old as the U.S. population, they're still having higher yeah. risks. Yeah. So
0: So the last, we got a few left, and then we're going to be done. I think we'll move to Wang et al. And this was actually a cohort study in epidemiology and infection. and. This was actually um, this whole BCG thing again. And we talked about BCG very early on, about some of the studies coming out of the countries that required BCG immunization. So
1: that's your TB, TB, tuberculosis vaccine.
0: Vaccine. And they decided that it was all baloney because all the people that were getting it were younger people. Getting the
1: vaccine. Yeah.
0: But now, here we go again, uh, there's a health center in Rhode Island that found that individuals with the history of the BCG vac- BCG vaccination were definitely less likely to require hospitalization. you know, during the disease course, a three point seven percent versus fifteen point eight percent.
1: And that was significantly different.
0: Now, what they don't say in here, and again, I don't know, maybe it's somewhere, but they don't say that these were age match controls or anything like that. so um, but still, it's that BCG thing still alive. Hydroxychloroquine? So, uh, Don't know. That's ugh, still going. I tried
1: to come back. Remember last did, week? Yeah. All right. JAMA. Gosh, I have all these hard names. we Singa. Ooh, I like that. She. Just kidding. <laughs> a review article summarized the current state of knowledge about COVID and the knowledge gaps and how transmission, infection, and treatment. Dexamethasone is showing promise in reducing 28-day mortality. But this study, unfortunately, shows convalescent plasma has yet to show a shortened time to recovery. So, who knows? Basically, they also state that 120 different vaccines are under development. But basically, until this all happens, you need to wear your face masks. You need to physically distance. We need to continue to do contact tracing.
0: I think that. And all uh, that jazz. I would be surprised if Dr. Anaska did not address this this Tuesday on the Echo. Ooh, good point. We will see. Um, and then we got another one on JAMA. JAMA um, was Khalil. busy this week. Yeah, Khalil. Uh, Kind of the change in instance of stillbirth and preterm delivery uh, kind of study, and uh, I think this is really stunning. They Mm -hmm. looked at the instance of stillbirths and uh, found that it was really amazingly higher, 9.31 per 1,000 births versus 2.38 per 1,000 births at St. George University in London during this COVID time. So Uh,
1: higher during COVID.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're talking four times higher almost, and I think that that's just amazing. Yeah, and they said it could be
1: directly due to COVID um, or just people who are so afraid to go in and so they might have missed reduced fetal movements or other things that could have been caught in an emergent-type situation. Yeah, two left. Two left. So this comes from A&A Practice, Warden et al. Basically, if your respirator doesn't fit, you're, if you don't pass your fit testing, if you use double-sided adhesive tape, on your 3M respirator... I'm not trying to do any name branding, but that's what it says in here. Um, you could then, you know, possibly pass your next fit test.
0: Yeah. Dr. Bell has a real small head and nothing fits <laughs> her. And I think that we've been using duct tape, and I think we're going to switch <laughs> to the two-sided 3M tape. So, yeah, that's a good thought. We'll be taking off the duct tape tomorrow.
1: We'll uh, let you know how that goes. Yeah.
0: So, last but not least... There was a little thing in JAMA, Network Open. And this was actually this whole thing with the incidence of stress cardiomyopathy during the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, I think that this is that whole thing that does the stress of all of the the pandemic cause some kind of acute coronary syndromes.
1: Broken heart syndrome.
0: Broken heart syndrome. Takatsubo. Yeah, she knows the name. Bless me. Yeah, it could. But basically, they thought it, that this, some of their study may suggest that there's an increase in incidence might be li- linked to this psychological, social, and economic distress. Uh, this whole increase in acute coronary syndromes across these five time periods that they looked at, associated with COVID disease.
1: Well, it was just this random stress cardiomyopathy that, and these patients were all COVID negative.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy. it
1: didn't make much sense. So.
0: And that's it. So coming up uh, this week, uh, Amanda Noska and Dr. Punjabi. Dr.
1: Amanda Noska.
0: Dr. Amanda Noska and Dr. Punjabi.
1: There you go. So this will be a pretty high-hitting week with both of them, You know, infectious disease. Amanda's got a ton of stuff for us, and then Gopal has some more radiological update things. So it'll be a good um, refresher and update on all things COVID and then... The week after, we have the Dr. Mike Osterholm yeah. to answer all of your modeling questions and all of that. Hopefully. Some of you
0: may remember if you were on the Echo that our friend, Robin, Dr. Robin Patel, the microbiologist at Mayo, was hoping that the question that she was asked about when the pandemic would be over could be shifted to Dr. Osterholm. So that may be one of the questions we ask. When's it done? Dun, dun, dun. We don't know. So, all right. So thank you, everyone, for listening this week.
1: Yep, we will have the Echo update on Tuesday. And then Tuesday's addiction topic is Nicotine 101. Perfect. All right, battle eggs.
2: I went to the pub, just about 3 The waitress smiled and she winked at me She said, here is my number, you should drop on by I said, please could you get me the waffle fries And he dropped his card He said, boy, I'm an agent You could go far They'd pay a fortune Just to see your face I said, if you could get me a Diet Coke That'd be great I got the highest charisma in the land Just six after six Going out of my hand No one cares but your other scores My intelligence is eight And my wisdom is four Charisma's all about my face looks great and my voice is warm that the wizards fell and the warriors fight They're not taking home a lady tonight And I'm taking home a lady I gathered myself, it was time to leave When and walked a maiden I'd never seen With her hair in curls and her eyes in green She was the prettiest girl that i ever seen She said forget the drinks and she grabbed my hair You and I will make the perfect pair Carry me home and come to bed with me I said I wish I could laugh, but my strength is three I got the highest that's charisma in the land. Just six after six rolling out of my hand. No one cares what your other scores. My intelligence is eight and my wisdom is four.